Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about the most underrated vitamin of all, vitamin D. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen in to our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice, so don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steven Nett as a patient at his office. Good evening, Steven. Welcome back from Orlando. Good evening, Ron. Thank you. Yeah. So last week we announced our videos for posture correction exercises. I want to remind people or let people know who didn't hear about it last week that they can go see them on YouTube, and we'll put links again in the podcast notes. But we're going to finish off our lettered vitamin episodes this week with vitamin D, and then we're going to start getting into some minerals. So we're going to talk about vitamin D, which a lot of people don't realize how important it is, and it's been getting a lot more attention the last few years, as well as how much vitamin D people actually really need. So how was vitamin D first discovered? Well, what's interesting about the discovery of vitamin D is that it occurred directly as a result from this discovery of vitamin A. Okay. And if you recall in our vitamin A episode, I pointed out the fact that vitamin A was discovered in 1913 by Elmer McCollum and Marguerite Davis at the University of Wisconsin. Right. And they were doing experiments on rats that were fed diets containing various fats, and the ones fed butter improved their health and longevity. Okay. Well, they also found this to be true with cod liver oil, and a British scientist by the name of Edward Mellenby took it a step further. In 1918, Mellenby did experiments noticing that when he fed indoor beagles oatmeal, they developed rickets, which is a bone disease common in children. Mm -hmm. But when he added cod liver oil to their oatmeal, the beagles did not develop rickets. Right. Now, for people who don't know what rickets is, isn't that where the bones are softer than they should be? And they, like in children, they tend to bow? Yes. We'll go over that in a little more detail in a minute. Okay. So then in 1921, McCollum again furthered this research by testing a modified form of cod liver oil in which the vitamin A had been destroyed. And the modified oil cured the sick dogs, so McCollum concluded the factor in cod liver oil which cured rickets was distinct from vitamin A. Ah. And yeah, so he, he then called it vitamin D because it was the fourth vitamin to be named. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's vitamin D. Now, you said that rickets is something that can be a problem if people aren't getting enough vitamin D. Are there any other conditions or illnesses or problems that can be caused if somebody has a vitamin D deficiency? Yeah. And let's start with the conditions that result from a severe vitamin D deficiency. And 
you know, the one that again led to the discovery of vitamin D is of course rickets. So I thought I'd go over that in a little more detail. Okay. So, you know, this condition's actually been around a very, very long time. And the first scientific description of rickets occurred during the mid 1600s. Hmm. And by the late 1700s, it became rampant in Europe as people began to stay indoors and live in large polluted cities with reduced exposure to sunlight. Uh huh. Uh, rickets is now a rare disorder, most common in children, and it causes bones to soften and weaken, which makes them prone to, you know, deformities and, and fractures. They tend to have bow legs and things like that. Right. Now, osteomalacia, which means soft bones, is basically the same thing as rickets, but occurs in adults. And people with this tend to experience muscle aches and pains along with weakness. Okay. Severe vitamin D deficiency can also result in hypocalcemia, which is low blood calcium. And this can cause seizures and tetany, which are seizure-like convulsions. Right. And another condition that can result from severe vitamin D deficiency is osteoporosis. Okay. Now, other conditions that can result from vitamin D deficiency or insufficiency include Seasonal Affective Disorder, also known as SAD. Mm -hmm. This affects about 6% of the U.S. population, while a milder form called Winter Blues affects about 14%. Hmm. Okay. I think I had this when I lived in Cleveland. Yeah, I think a lot of people had it when they lived in Cleveland. So this occurs most commonly during the winter months due to less sunlight exposure. Mm -hmm. And people with this tend to be excessively fatigued. They lose interest in their hobbies, tend to crave more starches and sweets, and of course, they may gain seasonal weight and have difficulty concentrating during darker months. Right. Now, another thing uh, that's interesting is research shows that having low vitamin D levels may raise your risk for depression by as much as 85%. Wow. No. Remember in the inflammation podcast number 13, I covered the fact that clinical studies have shown that gut inflammation is associated with depression and supplementing with essential fatty acids, probiotics, B vitamins, as well as vitamin D can also improve depression symptoms and, and quality of life by reducing the pro-inflammatory triggers to your brain. Right. And then some of the other conditions that can occur due to vitamin D insufficiency include tuberculosis, psoriasis multiple sclerosis, inflammatory bowel disease, uh, both type 1 and type 2 diabetes, uh, pregnancy complications, asthma, high blood pressure, heart failure, and various forms of cancer, especially colorectal and breast cancer. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's quite a list. No. Well, then why don't we go back uh, a step and look at what vitamin D does and what functions in the body vitamin D plays a part of, because that might explain why some of these things come about. All right. So vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin that regulates calcium balance in the body and is vital for bone development and maintenance. Hmm. It's also needed in the body for phosphorus balance, which is another mineral. Mm-hmm cell differentiation, immunity, insulin secretion, and blood sugar regulation. Wow. So those are very significant things. Absolutely. Now, it's interesting you bring up calcium because next week's episode is going to be on calcium and magnesium. 
So that is going to be a factor that we'll probably have to look at when we talk about calcium and how it works in the body and what deficiencies come about because of or what deficiencies can cause. And so vitamin D, it sounds like plays a big part with that. So if you want to stay in good shape and not have problems because of inadequate amounts of vitamin D, what are some of the best food sources to go for? Well, when looking at the various food sources of vitamin D, it's important to distinguish between the two forms of vitamin D. Okay, what are the two forms? Well, the first is vitamin D2, and its only natural food source is plant-based, and mushrooms are the only food that has significant amounts. Hmm. And you can also get D2 by eating D2-fortified bread or through supplements, of course. All right, so mushrooms are the only way to get it? Through food, yes. Wow, you would be in awful shape if there wasn't anything like a D2 supplement, wouldn't you? I definitely would. Okay. And so the D2 is the one form. What's the other form? Uh, The other is D3, and they come from animal-based foods. Okay. Those include fatty fish such as tuna, mackerel, salmon, herring, and sardines. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can get it from oysters and shrimp. And beef liver, cheese, and egg yolks. Okay. Uh, Plus foods that are fortified with added vitamin D3 include uh, some dairy products, orange juice, and cereals. Okay. And Wonder Bread, probably. I don't know. (laughs) Probably not. I don't think there's anything (laughs) redeeming about that. No, but it's fortified with 23 vitamins and minerals. Wasn't that Wonder Bread that used to have those commercials? I don't, I don't remember. It's like eating cardboard fortified with vitamins and minerals. Yuck. So, you know, none of these, however, are anywhere close to the best source of vitamin D, specifically D3, which is sunlight. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I want to cover this now in detail because there's a lot of information about the connection of vitamin D and sunlight that's very important. Okay. First of all, vitamin D3 is produced in the body when ultraviolet B rays from the sun interact with the outer layer of the skin. Now, most people could actually potentially get all of their vitamin D requirements by sunlight exposure alone. Okay, so they wouldn't even need any from their foods or any kind of supplements. Right, and I'm saying most people. So, you know, for example, children and young adults who spend a short time outside two or three times a week will generally make all the vitamin D they need to prevent deficiency. Okay. Now, you would think that since vitamin D-rich foods are readily available and that getting enough sunlight would be easy to attain, vitamin D deficiency would be rare, but the fact is that upwards of 75% of the world's population is deficient in vitamin D. Now, why would that be since you can get sunlight and you can get it through the foods? Well, that's what I'm going to go over next. Okay. So even in Southern climates, including here in Florida, 55% of African Americans and 22% of Caucasians are vitamin D deficient. Okay. And so now let's look at the reasons for this. So people with dark colored skin produce markedly less vitamin D on exposure to sunlight than those with lighter complexions. For example, a light-skinned person wearing a bathing suit will make about 15,000 IUs of vitamin D in 15 to 20 minutes in July at midday, whereas a darker-skinned individual can do the same, but it'll take twice as long. Hmm. Okay. 
Now, other times of the year, and depending on the location, it could even require up to 10 times more sun exposure for a person with dark skin to produce the same amount of vitamin D as a person with pale skin. Okay. And older adults also have a reduced ability to produce vitamin D from sunlight exposure, and they frequently use sunscreen or protective clothing in order to prevent skin cancer and sun damage. You know, remember we covered sunscreen in detail in podcast number 21 on sunburns, and this included the significance of SPF or sun protection factor, right. which measures the capacity of a sunscreen to block ultraviolet B radiation. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really unfortunate that not only is ultraviolet B radiation needed to produce vitamin D, but it's also the specific sun rays that cause sunburn. Hmm. When you use a sunscreen with an SPF level as low as 15, you're blocking 93% of ultraviolet B rays. And again, SPF 30 blocks 97% and SPF 50 blocks 98%. Right. Yeah, so it's good because you're preventing the problems, the damage that can occur. But on the other side, it's preventing it from producing vitamin D in your body. That's correct. Now, where you live is also important as far as potential vitamin D production. Uh, So in latitudes around 40 degrees north or 40 degrees south of the equator, for example, Boston is 42 degrees north. There's not enough ultraviolet B radiation available for vitamin D production from November to early March. Hmm. And then 10 degrees farther north or south, uh, the northern example would be Edmonton, Canada. The vitamin D winter is even longer from mid-October to mid-March, and that's two weeks earlier and two weeks later. Okay. Now, one more thing on sunlight exposure and vitamin D. I just found a smartphone app today called D-Minder Pro. Mm Mm-hmm. You can get more information about this at dminder.info, but you actually need the app to perform all of its functions. Okay. So this brilliant app looks at current local weather conditions and other individual parameters such as your skin tone and age, and it accurately calculates how much ultraviolet radiation you're getting and how many units of vitamin D you're making. Wow. It's incredible. Very cool. Yeah, it'll also tell you when to get out of the sun to protect yourself from sunburn, too. Oh, that's pretty cool. Now, remember, in general, the peak times to get ultraviolet B rays from the sun for vitamin D production are between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m., with noon being the optimal time. Right. But if it's during daylight savings time, then peak sun exposure time is at 1 p.m. instead of noon. Okay. Well, that's very good information. Now, what is the current recommended daily allowance for people for vitamin D? And and what are the current studies finding that the actual dosage is that people really need? So the recommended dietary allowance uh, or RDA for vitamin D is based on the amount of vitamin D needed for bone health. Okay. For adults, both men and women, it's set at just 600 IUs a day. And for adults 71 years and older, it's 800 IUs per day. Okay. Now, the best way to find out if you're getting enough vitamin D is through a blood test checking 25 hydroxy vitamin D levels. Acceptable blood levels of vitamin D range from 30 to 100 nanograms per deciliter. And vitamin D deficiency is considered below 20 and can result in, you know, the bone disorders we went over earlier, rickets and osteomalacia. Right. Vitamin D insufficiency is between 20 and 30. 
and may be associated with other conditions that can result from lower than optimum levels of vitamin D. And what's interesting is these types of conditions also might not produce any notable symptoms. You might not even be aware that they're occurring. Right. Now, here's a very practical and important piece of data that I got from a 2008 study called Vitamin D Intake to Attain a Desired Serum 25-Hydroxyvitamin D Concentration. It was published in the Journal of Clinical Nutrition, and it stated that the dose of vitamin D required to increase people to a minimum level of 20 nanograms per milliliter is approximately 800 IUs daily. Okay. Whereas increasing people to a minimum level of 30 nanograms per milliliter would require approximately 4,000 IUs daily. And 30 is the, now that's the level that you shouldn't be below. Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, Grassroots Health, which is a nonprofit public health research organization dedicated to moving public health messages regarding vitamin D from research into practice utilizes a panel of 48 senior vitamin D researchers from all over the world with the purpose of solving the vitamin D deficiency epidemic worldwide. Remember, about 75% of the world population is vitamin D deficient. Right. Now, their scientists have agreed that there is no perfect vitamin D supplement amount, but instead, blood levels must be tested and that the level should be 40 to 60 nanograms per milliliter. So that's even more. Correct. Okay. So they found that 40 nanograms per milliliter is the cutoff point for sufficiency to prevent a wide range of diseases, including cancer. Hmm. So I'd like to share a few examples of this connection between vitamin D levels and cancer risk. Okay. So having a blood vitamin D level of 40 nanograms per milliliter has been shown to reduce your risk of cancer by 67%. Wow. And that's compared, yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, that's compared to having a level of 20 or less. Mm -hmm. And most cancers were found to occur in people with a vitamin D blood level between 10 and 40. And the optimal level for cancer protection was identified as being between, again, 40 and 60. Okay. 2015 study found women with vitamin D concentrations of at least 30 nanograms per milliliter had a 55% lower risk of colorectal cancer than those who had blood levels below 18. Okay. And earlier research published in 2005 showed women with vitamin D levels above 60 nanograms per milliliter had an 83% lower risk of breast cancer than those with levels below 20. Wow. I mean, these are amazing. I mean, this is like, pff, this needs to be known by everybody. And that's why I'm, I'm you know, I'm behind this organization. Right. So I got a couple more to share because this is really great data. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, there was a 2007 study that found that uh, women over 55 who raised their average blood level to 38 nanograms per milliliter lowered their risk of all invasive cancers, including breast cancer, by 77%. That's pretty good. And vitamin D also increases your chances of surviving cancer if you do get it. Hmm. And this includes melanoma and breast cancer. Uh, research shows that breast cancer patients with high vitamin D levels are twice as likely to survive than those with low levels. Well, that's interesting. And one other study shows a very clear 80% decrease in breast cancer incidence when serum 25-hydroxyvitamin D levels increase from 20 to 60 again. Hmm. So because of this study and many others proving vitamin D's connection to breast cancer prevention, 
Dr. Cedric Garland, who's one of the world's most published researchers on cancer and vitamin D, has maintained for many years that breast cancer is a vitamin D deficiency disease. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. So one more thing, as far as children are concerned, the American Academy of Pediatrics currently suggests that all infants, children, and adolescents should supplement with 400 IUs of vitamin D daily. However, the, Li the Linus Pauling Institute, which is affiliated with Oregon State University, recommends daily intakes of 400 to 1,000 IUs of vitamin D in infants and 600 to 1,000 IUs of vitamin D in children and adolescents. Okay. And they explain, you know, the reason why infants, children, and adolescents should be given supplemental vitamin D is because breast milk, infant formula, and the typical diets of children and adolescents typically don't give them enough vitamin D. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you've answered this next question to some extent, but not completely yet. And that's when are the larger doses of vitamin D helpful? You were talking about, you know, a lot of these various conditions, but is there any other ones that you haven't covered yet? Absolutely. Okay. So let's start with a 2012 study where 41 people with epilepsy were given a one-time megadose of vitamin D3, ranging from 40,000 IUs all the way up to 200,000 IUs. Mm -hmm. And that was followed by a daily dose of 2,000 to 2,600 IUs a day for three months to bring each individual's vitamin D status to at least 30 this resulted in significant improvement. 10 out of the 13 had a decrease in the number of seizures, and five of them uh, experienced more than a 50% reduction. Wow. And overall, the group had a 40% reduction in the number of seizures. Overall. Okay. Another example of megadosing is a recommendation that I came across last year from Dr. Joseph Mercola in regards to the flu. He recommends that if you're coming down with cold or flu-like symptoms and have not been taking vitamin D on a regular basis then you can take 50,000 IUs a day for three days to treat the acute infection. Right. And he also points out that a top vitamin D researcher, Dr. J.J. Cannell, has found that the dose could even be as high as 1,000 IUs per pound of body weight for three days. Right. So, for example, if you weigh 100 pounds, that would equal 100,000 IUs per day, and 200 pounds would be 200,000 IUs per day. That's true. And you have to find a decent vitamin D that's got enough in it because otherwise, if you're taking that many, you'd like, you need like a shot glass full or something. The right. one I found here is, it's interestingly enough, look at the brand. Can you see that? Oh, yeah, Carlson. It is. And it's 2000 per drop. Yeah. Yeah, we, we sell a bottle of liquid D3 just like that. It has, that has 900 drops in it and each drop is 2,000 IUs just like yours. So 50 drops a day would be equal to 100 pounds and 100 drops for 200 pounds. Right, exactly. But people have to look because I went out looking for higher dosage liquid vitamin D and most of them were, you know, like 1,000 for a drop was the best I found. And some of them it was like 1,000 and it was five drops that you had to take to get that. Right. So you'd be taking a ton of them. All right. So yes, I remember you mentioned that. I tried that at one point and it worked very well. So what else do you have on your list? Well, also as far as the groups that are the highest at risk for low vitamin D levels, which we went over earlier, uh, studies show that people with dark skin and the elderly as well as obese people can require supplementation 
at levels of 5,000 IUs a day during the winter months, but less or none during the summer to obtain healthy blood levels of 25 hydroxy vitamin D levels. Okay. And finally, we, you know, we just went over the magic number for blood levels of vitamin D for preventing a wide range of diseases, including cancers. And you know, again, it was between 40 and 60. So research has found that it would require 9,600 IUs of vitamin D per day to get nearly the entire population, and that is about 97.5%, to reach 40 nanograms per milliliter. Wow. But obviously, individual requirements can vary widely. Exactly. And it also would probably depend on how much sun the person gets and how dark or light their skin is and various other factors. Yeah. So again, you know, if you've been taking a certain amount of vitamin D, preferably vitamin D3 for a number of months, and then you retest your levels and it reveals that you're still not within the recommended range, then you know you need to increase your dosage. And, you know, I use a lab out of California called Principal Lab, which is affiliated with LabCorp, and their fee for the 25-hydroxy vitamin D test is about $40. Wow. Yeah, and they also have combined blood tests, which include vitamin D, and these can save you up to 80% from what you would normally pay if you went to a place like LabCorp or Quest with just a regular script from your doctor. Oh, that's great. All right. At some point, maybe we should put together or you should put together a list of all the different blood tests and things that we've been discussing on these episodes that will help people, help you to find out for people what types of deficiencies they might have and how to change their diet or how to change what kind of supplements they take. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Now, do you have any personal or patient experiences where either you or one of your patients had some vitamin D issues or were taking more vitamin D and saw some ma major changes? Well, what I've noticed with my patients who I've recommended daily doses of 4,000 IUs or more of vitamin D3 is that they have much fewer colds and flus. Mm -hmm. In fact, they rarely get colds and flus. Hmm. And my most recent personal experience happened about a year ago when I ended up getting the flu myself. And I shared this experience in our flu podcast. Right. So remember, I was exposed to that nasty flu last year and then went out of town for a seminar and I didn't get any sleep on that Friday night because there were people in the room next to me partying at all hours of the night and I, you know, I forgot to bring my earplugs and sleep remedies. Right. So my resistance went down and I had a very high fever by the end of that Saturday with typical flu symptoms. And I immediately took about 50,000 IUs of vitamin D along with the flu terminator homeopathic remedy as well as some calcium to bring my fever down. And a little over 24 hours later, my fever broke and I was able to go to work that Monday without missing any work. Wow. Yeah, I remember that. That was great. And a lot of that has to do with how you described it is that vitamin D uh, has a lot to do with calcium being released and the calcium being released has a lot to do with the fever and the blood, white blood cells and fighting infection and all that stuff like that. So you described that very thoroughly in, was it the flu one? It was. It was the podcast episode on the flu. So people should go back and listen to that. Now we're talking about various different dosages of vitamin D, some fairly high. So this is a fat soluble vitamin like vitamin A. And one of the things we found out is if you take too much vitamin A, there are certain risks. So are there any risks to be aware of when you're taking vitamin D? Well, first of all, vitamin D toxicity is also known as hypervitaminosis D. Mm -hmm. 
and it's not been observed to result from sun exposure. Right. Plus, research shows that vitamin D toxicity is very unlikely in healthy people at intake levels lower than 10,000 IUs per day. Really? Okay. Now, despite, yeah, despite this fact, the Food and Nutrition Board of the Institute of Medicine conservatively set the tolerable upper intake level, or UL, for vitamin D at 4,000 IUs per day for all adults. Well, that's interesting because you just went over how much is going to be needed to get people up to, that wasn't it, the 40? Yeah, yeah. for 40, it was 9,600. For 30, it was 4,000. And for 20, it was 800. Right. So it's like the tolerable level would just get people up to 30. Yeah, which is still not high enough to prevent a lot of these horrible diseases. Yeah, like the cancers and so on. Exactly. Okay. Now, again, you know, vitamin D toxicity is rare, but the most notable problem that can result from this is too much calcium in the blood, also known as hypercalcemia. Mm-hmm. And this can result in bone loss, kidney stones, and calcification of organs like the heart and kidneys if it's left untreated over a long period of time. Okay. Plus, certain medical conditions can increase the risk of hypercalcemia in response to vitamin D, including primary hyperparathyroidism, tuberculosis, and lymphoma. So research shows that hypercalcemia has been observed following daily doses of greater than 50,000 IUs of vitamin D. Now, earlier I went over Dr. Mercola's recommendations for the flu, which was taking 50,000 IUs of vitamin D for just three days. Right. So really, you know, for this short period of time, there's really no concern about toxicity or calcium buildup. But you know, just to make sure, it would be wise to supplement with magnesium since it keeps calcium from building up in the tissues by keeping it in solution. Right. Really, whenever you take calcium, you should balance it with magnesium. Which we're going to get into detail next week on the episode on calcium and magnesium. Nice segue. And I've got another segue for what I'm going to talk about next. And that's uh, another important nutrient that should also be taken with vitamin D, especially if you're taking high doses of vitamin D for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And what's that? Well, ask me the last question and I'll tell you. All right. So is there anything else you'd like to say? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. I went over the two forms of vitamin D earlier, D2 and D3, and I just wanted to add another important point about them as far as how they differ from each other. And then I'll go over the other thing I just referenced. Okay. So according to the U.S. National Institutes of Health, There's no difference between vitamins D2 and D3 and that interchanging the two makes no difference whatsoever in your body's levels. Okay. Well, that's actually been proven false according to several studies. So there was a study in 2017 at the University of Surrey in England, and they found that vitamin D3 was twice as effective in raising levels of vitamin D in the body than its counterpart D2. Okay. And another study published in 2011 in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism compared vitamin D2 and D3, and they found that D3 converts to the active form of vitamin D in the body five times faster than D2. Mm. D3 is 87% better at raising and maintaining vitamin D levels. Mm -hmm. And D3 produces two to three times greater storage of vitamin D in the body than D2. Wow. Mm -hmm. So there is a significant difference between the two. Oh, yeah. 
And because of that, when, you know, when you're choosing supplements, make sure you choose D3 over D2 since it's a far superior source. Okay. So finally, I'd like to rehash something that I covered in podcast number 43 concerning vitamins D3 and K2. Okay. If you recall, I covered the fact that taking vitamin D3 without K2 when you have a deficiency of K2 in the body could be causing you more harm than good. Right. And the reason for this is that it can lead to a vitamin D toxicity, which is really a vitamin K2 deficiency. Mm. And what you end up with is excess calcification in parts of the body where it shouldn't be, including the arteries. So one large study showed that this is even worse if you're just supplementing with calcium by itself without balancing it with vitamins D3 and K2. Because in the absence of these vitamins, calcium can especially build up in your coronary arteries, initiating excessive clotting and causing heart attacks. Wow. So really, if you're going to be taking these, they all need to be going together. D3, K2, calcium, and magnesium should all be taken together. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. So D3, like I said last week, is a lot more important than people probably ever realized and has a lot to do with people maintaining good health and avoiding some serious health conditions. Now, next week, we're going to kind of continue on this vein because we're going to be talking about calcium and magnesium, which you brought up today, and why they're important in more things than just bones and what deficiencies can cause and what can cause the deficiencies and all the types of things that people need to know about them because they're both very important minerals. Uh, after that, we're going to get into sodium and potassium, and then we're going to talk about other minerals after that and other supplements. So thanks for the information, Steve. We'll get off of vitamins and into minerals next week. And everybody hopefully has been listening to this and is looking at what they need and what they should do differently than they're doing to maintain their health. Thanks again. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week. Bye.